All right, Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17. And as we go through the book of Luke, just to put you in mind of where we are now, Jesus has been preaching for three years, and uh, it's coming to the end. He's weeks away from the end. Uh, And we're in chapter 17, chapter 19, he will come down into Jerusalem for the final time. And um, it is all going to wind up now uh, pretty quickly. But as he goes, he is teaching and preaching. And remember, key key thought in his preaching is the kingdom. He, he started off preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he's talking about a kingdom. And at, now as he comes to the end, as he comes to the place, he's continuing to teach. He's continuing to put that message out. Um, but what we have is we have the Pharisees asking a question of him, demanding an answer of him, I hear. And he answers it. And then he's going to talk to the disciples. We won't get there today. He's going to talk to the disciples about the kingdom uh, and about when it's, going, when it's going to come. But he's going to answer it today in a way that I think is very helpful to us. Because kingdoms have kings and armies and palaces and wealth and great things. But not this king. He's a different kind of a king. Um, and we need to understand who the king we serve is. Now, don't get it wrong. Don't, 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 don't for a moment miss the reality that he is a king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But you wouldn't know that if you met him walking the earth in the days that he walked the earth. And he's not at all embarrassed about that. That's part of the plan. But it's not part of what man expected. It's not part of man's plan. It's part of his plan. That's a word of prayer, though, and then we'll read Luke 17, 20 and 21 are our verses for today. Father in heaven, would you bless us this morning as we look to your word? Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, we would hear your voice speaking to us, Lord, through the ages. And and Lord, may our hearts be lifted up to you. And and may we be settled, Lord, uh, in the type of Christianity we live in, Lord. May we be settled, Lord, in the uh, Savior that we follow, Lord. And, oh, Lord, would you bless each one, Lord. Give each one of us what we need in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So Luke 17, verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus is a king, but he's not a king like any other. Uh, His kingdom is never one of force, but of people who will choose him because of love. Strange kind of a kingdom uh, to all that listen to him talking about the kingdom. Uh, He came the first time to demonstrate his love and to call out a people that would respond to him uh, and respond to that love. Uh, That love relationship is the key to the Christian walk. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's not keep my commandments, it's if you love me, keep my commandments. Our relationship with him is born out of love, because we love him. Uh, We love him, uh, the Bible says, because he first loved us. Now, he's coming again. And when he comes again, he's going to have all the regalia of a king. He's going to have all the regalia, all the power, and he's going to come. But the next time he comes, he's not coming back to win people to himself. That job is done by then. The next time he comes, he's coming to set up his kingdom, but he's coming to vanquish all those 
that stand against him. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10 says this, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, when he comes the next time, he's not coming to gather people to himself. He's coming to take the people that are his to be with him. He's coming to set up his kingdom with those people. And everybody else he's going to destroy. Everybody else, he's coming as a king. So the, here's what we need to understand. The opportunity to receive him, to learn to, to come to the place where you love him and you accept him is now. That's not going to come around when he comes back the next time. Nobody's going to get that opportunity at that point. He's going to set up his kingdom uh, for sure. Anyone that stands against him, anyone who knows not God and does not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be destroyed. In fact, it goes on to say, uh, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. So if you're not saved today, you need to run to Christ. You need to flee to him. Because you and I don't know when. We don't know when the end is coming. We don't know when he's going to call us out of this world. We don't know when death is going to come. We don't know any of those things. We think we do. We, we kind of got plans. It's a new year. and You've got New Year's resolutions and you're expecting, uh, you know, to last for a while until you actually achieve something of those things. But you know what? You don't know. And <clears throat> because we don't know, we need to respond immediately to him. We need to come to that place where we trust him as Savior. See, the gracious open-armed invitation doesn't last forever. It's now. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to receive him. And you and I need to understand that, that he came once. And he came and he, he did not manifest his glory. He did not show his power. He didn't have an army to back up his claims. He didn't have all the things that the, uh, the Pharisees were looking for when it came to a kingdom. Didn't have any of those things. And he came once as a servant. But he's a king. And when he comes back the next time, he's coming back as a king. And he's coming back as a king. And the, the, the day of grace will close. The opportunity to receive him will be over. And in that day, we'll stand before him either as his children or as people who have not obeyed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who have not received him as Savior, and be, be cast away from him forever. And so we need to make sure that, that, that we come to that place uh, of trusting him while there's light, while there's time. But I want you to see three things this morning. First of all, there's a demand to produce the goods, right? And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, now the, uh, the, the translators get this one really right, right? Because this was not a, uh, you know what? When is your kingdom going to come? This was a demand. We want to know when your kingdom is coming. Now, what are they on about? Well, here's the thing. He's been preaching for three years about his kingdom. He doesn't look like a king. He doesn't have an army. He doesn't have a crown. Nobody's terribly worried about this king that has come. And what they're saying to him is, listen, put up or shut up. If you're going to be a king, then show us your kingdom. If, you, if, you, if you're a king, you, you, keep, you keep talking on and on and on about your kingdom, well, we'll, we'll show us your kingdom. Uh, <clears throat> we don't see a crown, we don't see an army, Rome's not worried, Herod's not worried. You know what? <clears throat> what are you on about? You're a king. 
Now, we didn't ask ourselves the question, where is his kingdom? Where is his kingdom? Obviously, heaven is his kingdom, right? That, that, that's everything in heaven obeys the will of Jesus Christ, bows to the will of Jesus Christ. Absolutely everything, nothing ever. But those that are born again, well, <clears throat> we're his kingdom too. Remember, uh, except a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. And what it's talking about there is the entry to the kingdom is when you came to that place where you were born again. Now, understand this, that being born again obviously is a, is a point where you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, where the Spirit of God comes in. But understand this too, that that's not, not the end of it. See, a king has a kingdom and he exerts rule over that kingdom. His influence spreads over that kingdom. And so the moment that you get saved, what happens is uh, you become his, and the normal, natural way for the believer is for, to bow to his will and come under his will, because he's our king. But we don't live our own lives and do our own things anymore. We come to the place where we yield ourselves to him, where he's our kingdom. You know, we, we pray in the Lord's Prayer, uh, thy kingdom come... Thy will be done. Well, what are we talking about there? If our wills are not surrendered to him, if we're not a people that yield ourselves to him, if his kingdom is those people over whom his will is exercised. That's all. A king always has, uh, you know, a territory, a people, a realm where he rules over. And the people in that realm obey him. That's the idea of being a king. Well, this king has a, not a territory, but he has a people, you and I. And he rules over us. And the reality of his kingdom is something that's found in our hearts. You see, so the Pharisees are looking for something from Jesus that he's not going to give them. He's no intention of setting himself up with a, with a throne and a crown and an army and, you know, and convincing everybody of how great he is. He's no, he's no intention of doing that. What he's come to do is he's come to win hearts to himself. It's a very strange kind of a kingdom. Kings rule by force. But this king wants your heart. He wants you to give yourself to him. He wants you to yield yourself to him and do what he wants you to do, not because he's forcing you to, but because you've come to love him. You've come to know him and you've come to, to love him. The earth will one day be his kingdom, and, but he'll destroy everyone that rejects his will at that point. He will just, he will just destroy it, anything that stands against him. And, and, and it will be with, with the sword of his tongue that he does it. But when he comes back on that white horse... He's going, everything, everything is going to bow to him. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Ultimately, that's why. But, but he gives us that opportunity now. And as his child, let me ask you a question. Is it real for you? You call him king. You call him Lord. But do you do your own thing? You see, look, I'm not saying that you can't be saved. You can't be his and be willful and, and a rebel will still working in your life. I mean, it can, obviously, for all of us. There are times when, when, when we don't do what we should be doing. But that's not the norm. That's not where the believer is supposed to live. 
That's supposed to be, you know, the aberration for, in the life of a believer because we're supposed to be surrendered to the will of this king. We're supposed to live our lives, you know, in submission to him. And by the way, it's not a hard way to live. He's the easiest king you're ever going to find uh, to live under. He's the meek and lowly Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's the lovely one. It's not a, he's, not a, he's not a hard person to submit to. But sometimes we think our Christianity is just, well, you know what, I've kind of taken this thing, it's fire insurance, we stick it in our back pocket, and we carry on doing our own thing. And I question that kind of a salvation. I question it. If you can do what you like and not what he wants, and that's just your habit of life, I question whether you've ever come to that place where you've, where you've really received him as Savior. I have no desire to disturb anyone's confidence in God and in their, in their salvation. But understand this, he's a king. And when you got saved, you became part of that kingdom. And the, the normal thing for somebody who's in that kingdom is for them to bow to the king and to obey him. And just because he doesn't come with a sword and lop your head off when you don't, doesn't mean he doesn't expect your submission. That he doesn't expect your, you, you to willingly uh, give to him. You see, the Pharisees are coming. They're demanding that he pr produce the goods. But he's not producing any of the goods that they expect. He's no intention of doing it. This is a different kind of kingdom. This is people that get to come by their own free will and be, submit themselves to him. In other words, he's inviting you. They're demanding an answer of him. But he, a king, is not demanding that anyone submit to him. What he's doing is he's inviting. He's saying, come submit. Take my yoke upon you, for I am meek and lowly and my burden is light. He's saying, come to me. And he invites you to come to him and to yield to him. Right. Second point is this, his kingdom will not come with outward display of power. Now, the Jews believed and taught that the Messiah would come with great pomp and glory. He would defeat all the enemies of Israel, and they would rule the world. It's in the scripture. It will happen. Right? That's what they were waiting for. They were waiting for somebody uh, who would uh, come and who would rule the world. And because they were the good guys, he would align themselves with their leadership and be one of them. That's the Pharisees' problem. If he's the Messiah, how come he's not over here with us? How come he's not doing it our way? How come he's not following the law? How come he's not, how, how come he's not actually on our side? Uh, uh, he, they, they expected him to line up with them and to be part of them. How wrong they were. See, the problem for them was, the problem for the Pharisees and for the Sadducees and for uh, the scribes, the problem for them was uh, that they were the center of it. They were the kingdom, and God was coming to back them up and make their kingdom move forward. They, they, they had it back to front. Don't we often get that one back to front, though? Don't we often get, get to the place where we think that God is supposed to get on my side and I may have an agenda? I'm working out my plan. I'm trying to make this thing happen. It's good. Why doesn't God come and get on board with it? And you see, we think we're the good guys. We think that God should get on board with our plan. That, that's, that's never what happens. That's always a great mistake. They made a huge mistake. You see, <coughs> what they thought was, they thought they were the center of it. 
And man is never the center of it. That's humanism. God is the center of it. God is the center of all of it, not them. <clears throat> I think we so easily, easily make that mistake. Uh, we become the center of it and we expect God to get on board with us. God is never on your side. Now, let me, back, let me, let me explain that, what I'm saying to you there. God is never on your side. What he's doing is he's inviting you to be on his side. Catch that? Do you understand that? You're not you know, driving, doing a blue streak over here and kind of doing something for God and expecting God to come on board with you. God is inviting you to get on board with him. He's the king. The king doesn't come to back up your plan or my plan. And I think Christians fall into that mistake, fall into that error again and again, and it causes us trouble. Great illustration of that, by the way, uh, in, in Joshua chapter 5. Don't turn that. I'll read it for you. I have it, I have it here in front of me. I'll read it for you. But in Joshua chapter 5, Joshua has been called into action to replace Moses. It's a daunting task, and God is building him up and getting him ready uh, for the task. They've, they've crossed over the River Jordan now, and they're standing uh, on the other side of the Jordan and kind of, listen, the battle's going to be on now any moment. Here's, here's Joshua. I mean, he's been the servant of Moses. He's, he's, he's the one that's, that, that's washed Moses' hands. And now all of a sudden, he is here and he's, he's going in for this battle. And he's out in the evening and he's wandering around and he sees this angel. And let me read it for you and then we'll explain it, right? And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in, drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? Isn't that a question you don't want to answer? Whose side are you on? I don't know you. I haven't seen you before. Wh whose side are you on? Are you, you on our side or are you on their side? <clears throat> it's a question I'd ask, a question you'd probably ask too. But the answer that he's given doesn't make sense. Right? Um, art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, nay, no. Are you on our side or on their side? And he said, no. Now, turns out this is an angel of the Lord. This is, this is actually a, a Christophany. It's an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. How you know that is because Joshua worships him and he doesn't say no. Angels never accept worship. Because like angels are, are, are created beings like us. But when, when you see the, the angel of the Lord accepting worship, you know that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's, a, that's a Christophany, right? <clears throat> but, uh, so what he's got is he's got the Lord Jesus Christ here in front of him. Right? And he says, no. Joshua, I'm not on your side and I'm not on their side. What does he mean? God never comes to your party, to your plan, to be on your side. God's always on his side. And he's inviting Joshua to be on his side. He's on the captain of the, of the host of the Lord. He's inviting Joshua to be on his side. And understand that. God's not coming to your party to fulfill your plans, to work things out the way you see them to be worked out. He's inviting you to come to him because he's a king. And he wants you working for him, not the other way around. And I think <clears throat> we live in a very humanistic age. And humanistic just means that man is the center of it all. It's all about man. 
You know, it's our world. We're living in it. We'll run it. We'll turn the temperature up, turn the temperature down. We'll do whatever we like with the world because it's our world. It's a humanistic world. And humanism very easily creeps into the church, into Christianity. And we become the center. And we want God to get on board with us and to do what we want him to do. And he's not. He's a king. He rules. He wants you to come to his bidding. He wants you to come to his plan. That's why our prayers so often are frustrated. Because, we're, because what we're doing is we're asking God to change his plans and come down and help us fulfill our plans. And God says, nay. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not there for you in that sense. I'm there for me. You're there for me. And when you and I come to the place where we recognize that and we recognize the king and we bow before the king and we say, Lord, whatever you want, because you're the king, and we bow before him and we want his will and his way and not our, ours, then all of a sudden our prayer life comes to life. Because now we're asking according to his will. And whatsoever we ask according to his will, we know that we have those things that we ask. But understand, it's not you getting him on board with your will. It's you coming to the place where you're getting on board with his will. You see, Israel were expecting an earthly king. And kings rule by might. A conquered people have no option but to submit. That's what they wanted. They wanted somebody who was going to saddle up, take out the sword, lead the army, defeat the Romans, cover the world with the power of Israel, and they were going to rule again. They were going to be in the, in the top spot again. And Jesus is saying, that's not what I came for. I came to win a people's hearts to me. I'll do that later on. But right now, I came to win a people's hearts to me. I came, and they can't see that. They don't get that. They don't understand that uh, at all. Sometimes with a king, people are given the opportunity to submit without the bloodshed. Uh, But rulers always use pomp and circumstance to emphasize uh, their glory and their power. And this king, this Jesus, you know what? He wasn't doing it for them. They, they, They couldn't see it. And he says... His kingdom will not come with outward display of power. The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, lo here and lo there. He says, no, he's not going to show his power. And, And that's something we need to understand. The kingdom of God is not displayed in great buildings. It's not displayed in vast numbers. It's not displayed in that we control governments. No, the kingdom of God is displayed somewhere else entirely. What Jesus was doing was completely different to that. The kingdom, it's a kingdom from within, a kingdom of yielded hearts. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. Now, There's two ways of looking at this, right? When you talk about the kingdom of God being within you. I mean, you can can look at it as it says right here. uh, It says the kingdom's within you. But he's talking to the Pharisees. Or or you can look at it as the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. I think that what it says is what it means. 
The kingdom of God is within you. Now, so how could the kingdom of God be in the Pharisees? Simple. All they had to do was submit to the king. All they had to do was yield themselves to the king. Then they were part of the king. It's here, folks. It's come. All you've got to do is... Now, now why would they submit to the king? Because he's been three years preaching, teaching, demonstrating that he is the Messiah, doing the things only the Messiah could do, showing his power, showing who he was. They just had to get off their own high horse and come down and recognize, you know what? He is the Messiah. And if they did, the kingdom of God was right there. They would be born again. They would come to the place where they were part of the kingdom of God. You see, what he's saying is, my kingdom is a kingdom of yielded hearts. It's a kingdom of people who have given themselves to me, who have decided to walk in relationship with me. You know, our tendency uh, is to make his kingdom a kingdom that we fight for. It's something out there. You know, it's something here in our walls. It's, it's us. It's, it's our culture. It's whatever. No, that's not what the kingdom is right now. The kingdom is in your heart and in my heart as we're submitted to him, as we're yielded to him. And there really is no other alternative for Christians. If you're, if, if, if you're going to be part of his kingdom, you're going to have to submit your will to him. You know, remember Peter? Peter wanted to fight with the Lord. They came to take the Lord Jesus Christ, and Peter, you know, he was all full of himself at that stage. Uh, <clears throat> uh, but but, but, but the, uh, he, he took the servant of Malchus, and he took out a sword, Peter did, and he, and he chopped off his right ear. And, you know, why? Because he's going to defend the king. He's kind of getting it wrong. He's kind of getting it back to, back to front. And Jesus instructs him very carefully. He says to Peter, he says, Peter, those that take the sword will die by the sword. And by the way, Peter, do you not think that I could now pray the Father and he would send 12 legions of angels? But how, how would the prophecy be fulfilled then, Peter? What's he saying? He's saying, Peter, I don't need you to take a sword and defend me. If I want defending, I'll tell Dad. Dad'll be here in a moment, and I'll tell you what, this whole thing will end differently. But but how's the prophecy going to be fulfilled? How's, how's it going to be how's it going to be sorted? You see, he's not looking for a people to fight for him. He's looking for a people to surrender to him. To yield to him. You see, he works through yielded hearts. He works through people who have yielded hearts. <laughs> Watch a video about um, Spurgeon. Spurgeon is the Prince of Preachers. He's the <clears throat> um, <clears throat> probably the best-known preacher of all time, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the apostles, maybe. <clears throat> but Spurgeon got saved when he was 16 years old. Just 16. At 17, he became a pastor. At 20, he was pastoring in London. Now, by his own reckoning, he he knew nothing. He was drawing vast crowds. I mean, huge crowds to hear him preach. And he said this about himself. He said, God kept me humble, though, because I knew the gift wasn't mine, it was his, and the power wasn't mine, it was his. 
And so Spurgeon stayed in the place where he was bowed before the Lord in spite of all the, you know, the fame and the notoriety. He was in the newspapers. He was a celebrity uh, in his day, one of, one of the great celebrities of his day. Can you imagine that, a preacher being one of the celebrities? <laughs> but, but he kept himself humble because, you know, it wasn't his. You see, what was Spurgeon? Spurgeon was somebody who was submitted to God, and God was able to take this 17-year-old kid and use him to reach people that never could be reached otherwise. But the power was not in him. The power was in Spurgeon. The power was not in Spurgeon. The power was in God. And you see, you and I need to understand that. Listen, God can do great things through any one of us. But it won't be you doing it. And the great things God does through you do not need to be the great things he did through Spurgeon. The great things God needs to, wants to do through you needs to be just you humbly yielding yourself every day and saying, Lord, I'm yours. Whatever you want me, I'll do. Because it's, he rules through surrendered hearts, through yielded hearts. We've just fin finished singing our Christmas carols, right? Oh, little town of Bethlehem has this verse in it, and I think it is powerful. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Not a military takeover. Not a coming and pressing you down so that you have to do what he wants you to do. He's a king. He could do that if he wanted to. But you know what? Meek souls, people who will surrender, and he comes in in all his power. Now, what would it look like? Well, you know what? The people of the king would reflect the king, wouldn't they? The people of this king would, would reflect who he was. So let me give you just some quick points uh, <clears throat> to think on as far as he is concerned, right? First of all, our king was meek and lowly. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now just one point out of that. I am meek and lowly. Our king is humble. He's never drawn attention to himself. He's never talking about his glory and his power and his might. He's humble. He's just meek and lowly. A different kind of king. And if you're going to submit yourself to this king, you're going to be the same. You're going to be meek and lowly. Secondly, he's compassionate. Matthew 20, verse 34, two blind men come to Jesus and they, and they call out to him. And it says, so Jesus had compassion on them. And he touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. You know, as, he, as, he, as he wandered around Israel and as he preached and taught and preached the, the gospel of the kingdom and sought to draw people to himself and sought to see people come uh, to the place of surrender in him, he had compassion. When he looked at somebody in need, what happened inside of him created a burden to do something for them. And he did. 
again and again. He, he gave sight to the blind. He healed the deaf. He uh, cast out demons from the demon-possessed. He fed the hungry. Uh, uh, he, he, he ministered to the grieving. He raised the dead. He did all kinds of things. But it's all prefaced by he had compassion. His bowels were moved, and he yearned to reach out and help them. You know what? If you're, we're going to be humble servants of the king, we're going to have compassion. He was also merciful. Jesus is a complete anomaly when it comes to this because he is the judge of all the earth. He's the one that's going to judge everything that happened in this earth from beginning to finish. That's, that's his job. That's his task. That's his position in the thing. But he is a non-judgmental judge at this point. Now there's coming a day when he will judge and he will judge with eyes that burn like fire and nothing will escape him. Remember when they brought the woman uh, that was caught in the act of adultery to him? And you know he said okay whoever is without sin you cast the first stone. So what do they do? They wandered away because as they thought about it they were convicted by their consciences. And so he says to the woman, he says, oh, okay. Nobody, nobody judged you? No, no, nobody willing to uh, condemn you? And she said, no, man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. The only one that had the right to judge her, that had the right to stone her to death, and nobody could have questioned what he did, <coughs> didn't. He's a non-judgmental judge. By the way, he tells us not to be judgmental. That's pretty important and so often missed. Because we love judging each other, don't we? We love playing God in everybody else's life. Quit it. If, if, if God judged you as harshly as you judge others, where would you be? You don't have the right to, but he does. Aren't you so glad he doesn't judge you that harshly? Aren't you so glad that he's, that he's merciful? <clears throat> he was tender. He wept beside the graveside of Lazarus. And <clears throat> now, Jesus wasn't weeping for Lazarus. He knew he was going to have dinner with Lazarus later on. That Lazarus is in the tomb. He's dead. He's four days dead. Uh, <clears throat> and, and, but Jesus stands outside the tomb and he watches all the people and he, he weeps. Because their pain touches him. There's, there's a tenderness in him. You know, if, if, if anybody had the right to recoil from the sin and the consequences of sin in the world, it was him, but he didn't. He, he was tender. He was a king who suffered. Isaiah 52, 14 says, As many, as, uh, as many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Let's talk about the cross. By the time those brutal Roman soldiers were finished with him, he didn't even look like a man. He looked like a piece of flesh. They had stripped all his dignity. They had stripped the skin off him. They had, they, they had just turned him into something unrecognizable as a man. And he suffered. And you know... <clears throat> He said this, he said, should the servant be more than his master? 
But sometimes we think we're not supposed to suffer, don't we? It's not fair. I'm a good guy. No. If he suffered, we will suffer too. That's just something we've got to accept in life. It's not something that you can shirk off or walk away from. There's going to be hard things in your life. And you've got to deal with that. And that's what we're looking at on Wednesday nights, by the way. You've got to deal with that issue in your life. Because if you don't deal with that issue in your life, what happens is you, you feel like you're being cheated. And you're not. He uses suffering in all kinds of ways in our lives. But there's going to be hard things in your life and in my life because there was hard things in his. He was fearless of man. He didn't care what man could do to him. I mean, <clears throat> he constantly went up against the Pharisees. I'm sure if you were there when Jesus, you know, was saying things in front of the Pharisees, you'd be saying, Jesus, please don't. I mean, you're just going to get them all going again. He was always getting them going. He was always riling them up. He was always challenging them. He was always undercutting them. You know, in Matthew 23, he calls them a generation of vipers and hypocrites. You know, he, he goes after them and lists all the things that they're doing wrong. And these are the powers. They're going to crucify him for it. But he didn't care. He's brought him before Pilate, and Pilate sits in his chair and says, Don't you know that I have the power uh, to set you free or to have you crucified? Jesus basically says, No, you don't. You can have any power except my father gave it to you. He's dragged off to Herod. He doesn't even bother to answer Herod. Because you know the guy's just looking for someone to do tricks for him. He's fearless of man. Absolutely. You know what? If we let his spirit rule in us, we'll be fearless too. You don't need to do what man tells you to do. You need to do what he tells you to do. He was tough when it was needed. Remember when he said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan? That's not something you say to your friend and expect, you know, <clears throat> the day to go well, you know? Uh, <clears throat> get thee behind me, Satan. You know, the guy's just gotten built up because you told him, <clears throat> Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed that unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. And then a few minutes later, he's saying to him, get, me, get thee behind me, Satan. Didn't bother Jesus. Matthew 23 again. He, 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 he called the Pharisees a generation of vipers and hypocrites. You know, he, he could be really tough when toughness was required. You and I need to understand that too. You know? Sometimes toughness is required. Sometimes speaking a hard word is what's actually necessary in the situation. Be sure when you speak a hard word, it's the spirit leading in it though. Because if you don't, you can curse somebody. Jesus didn't witness to everybody the same. Did you notice that? <clears throat> when he's witnessing to people, when he's witnessing to the Pharisees, he is merciless, it seems. He just goes after them. Why? Because they needed that. When he speaks to the woman at the well, he's much more tender. When he speaks to Nicodemus, he's, he's different. And you see, there's a lesson there for you and I, that when we speak, we need to be led to the Spirit. It needs to be Jesus within us speaking through us. Not just us going our own way and doing our own thing. He was loving. John 15, verse 13 says, Greater love, he said this to the disciples, Greater love than hath no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. He was going to, just about to lay down his life for his friends. I want you to understand this, guys. He's saying, there's no greater love than that. You know what? The disciples weren't left wondering whether Jesus loved them or not. He demonstrated it. They knew it. He spoke it. 
He showed them. He demonstrated. You know what? His servants need to be loving too. He was obedient, not to the letter of the law, but to the will of the Father. John 5, verse 30, he says, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which sent me. And in John 6, 38, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Everything he did was the will of the Father. He lived for that will. He, he, he constantly did not what he in his humanity felt like doing. He did what his father wanted him to do. He lived for that will. He was obedient to the father. See, that's who you're submitting to. You're, you're submitting to somebody who's tender, who's compassionate, who's lowly, who's strong. Someone you can depend upon. You know what? There's nobody else in the world that you could say the things about that you could say about Jesus. Doesn't matter how good they are or how hard they try, there's nobody else you could say those things about. That's why when it comes to submitting to him, it's not hard. When it comes to you being part of this kingdom, when it comes to you yielding your heart to him, he's not hard to yield your heart to. Who are you going to yield it to? Who are you going to, who are you going to give, give in to? Yourself? That's pretty sad, isn't it? Doing your own thing and living your own way, that, that, that's really sad. Somebody else who's just as feeble and frail as you are? No, he says, I want you to yield to me. And you see, that's the choice that's placed before all of us. Who are you going to yield to? You're going to yield to yourself? He that loveth his life shall lose it. But he that giveth his life for my sake shall keep it. When you actually come to that place where you say, okay, he's a king. I'm his child. I'm a servant. I'm going to bow to him. And bowing to him is symbolic of I want his will, not mine. I want to do it his way, not my way. Listen, that's the best choice you could ever make for a human life. To bow to him. I'll never let you down. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll never quit loving you. And when it's over, and there may be some hard things, when it's over, he'll embrace you. And tell you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because all a servant has to do is be a servant. And he'll take you to be with him in heaven. And he'll reward you for what he did in your life. How can you lose with Jesus? What could possibly be better than yielding yourself to him, than giving yourself to him and letting him have his way? Let's stand for prayer. And if you haven't asked him to save you, if you haven't come to that place where you've yielded to him in salvation, do it now, would you? Don't wait. <clears throat> and as a child, if you haven't yielded, if you're at odds with him, 
Surrender to him now. Yield to him now. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for speaking to our hearts today, Lord. Thank you for being such a precious, wonderful king. Now, Lord, would you help us, each one of us, to yield to you and to let you have your way in our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen.